Welcome to Sad Girls Against the Patriarchy. I'm Allison. And I'm Jennifer. And we are your sad girls. It's substitute teacher day. (laughs) Alexis is sick. She has fallen ill. I hope it's okay that I tell people that. But she's not here, but my dear friend Jennifer sweetly offered to step in. And I am just as sad. (laughs) Yes, you are a perfect (laughs) candidate for being a sad girl because you're you're sad. You like memes. You've had a lot of shitty experiences with men. I hate the patriarchy. I hate the patriarchy. You're my friend. So, I mean, all around, a great first guest. You're our very first guest. Oh. Yeah. Different kind of a day. Be a little bit shorter. We uh, put out a little question sticker a while back asking people what they needed help with, what kind of wise counsel they would like from the sad girls. One person submitted, (laughs) when I said, like, what's your problem? What what do you need help with? They said, I hate people who like Hawaii. (laughs) Which is just like the silliest thing. I don't know if they're from Hawaii or if they're Hawaiian and they hate appropriation or something like that. I do love a petty feud with something pretty innocuous you don't like me i got to go to hawaii as a kid and man I did you love it yeah yes i went to oahu um okay here we go i'm in what we call a situationship but i may be the toxic one he is obviously in love and i'm hanging around have you been the toxic one jennifer at any point I have at points, never for too long. Yeah. But I think I can get the ick kind of, you know, where I'm yeah. just like, ugh, oh no. Yeah, that's also a fun um, topic of like, what are the weirdest, silliest icks you've gotten from a man? <laughs> <laughs> There's a meme that was like, he was knocked over by ocean waves. You've told me a story about having to like climb snowy hills in New York and that turned you off of the relationship. Oh, oh. We lived up in the Bronx and our train was down and the other train was down for months. So you had to walk like a mile and a half the other way around in the Bronx in the snow. And this guy, I wish I could do his accent, but at one point he wanted attention and I just wanted to get inside and be warm. It was 20 degrees. And he he was jumping behind me going, look at me, look at me. (laughs) (laughs) Thirsty. Just like needed attention in that moment. And I was like, I I will fuck you if we can get up inside and in the warmth, but I don't want to look at you right now. Yeah. <laughs> Cold, miserable weather. What about you? No, I've never been. I'm, no, I'm not the toxic one in a situationship. I'm not in any relationships or situationships. People will be like, oh, are you dating anyone right now? I'm like, I don't really, I don't, that's not a thing in my life so much. I'm, I would like for it to be, but I think it's very mature of the person asking this question to recognize that they are the one stringing along the other person. And if you are doing that, then don't be part of the problem. Break it off. If you can tell that they're more into you than you are into them, then there's just nothing productive about that. I do break it off. Women are more self-aware. So, of course, they would be more capable of breaking it off. Yeah, you're not going to meet your person if you're... Yeah, as long as you're in a bad situation, whether they're the toxic one or you are, then you're not going to find anything better. And if you do, you won't be available for it. Okay, one more. I'm so close to swearing off men forever and becoming celibate. Oh, we all get more cats. I I don't think swearing off men is a good. I think they'll meet someone that'll get all their juices flowing and Mm -hmm. then that'll go right out the window. Yep. I truly believe that that's out there for all of us, all of us single men and women who feel like you're never going to find your person. Just patience. Just make yourself open and available for it. Work on yourself. Go to therapy. Get pets. All of that. It sounds <laughs> trite, but really, that's when you're going to be. Focus on your passion. Yeah. That'll make you more attractive to other people, too. So it's kind of winning on both fronts. You're going to 
be happier because you're focusing on yourself and you're going to be more attractive to other people because you're working on yourself and then it will come. But I totally understand that feeling and yeah. I've been there. I've even been in a place where I was like, am I asexual? Like mm-hmm. I just and then, you know, you meet someone where like, <laughs> you're like, nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yep. gotcha. Okay. <laughs> I've had the same thought. Yeah. In uh college I was thinking I was asexual because I just wasn't attracted to any of the guys I was around. And it was like, oh no, I just don't like any of these guys. <laughs> It's actually them. But today, we're going to talk about the biological clock. The theme for this episode is evolutionary myths, deconstructing them. Um, Alexis was going to come in with some talk about polyamory, and I was going to get into alpha males, but we'll do some of that next week. I'll just tease it today. Biological clock, though. I'm polyscamory. I'm polyscamory. <laughs> yeah, we both have a bias, Alexis, and I think Jennifer. I think we all have a bias against polyamory because we've seen a lot of women in those situations where it wasn't healthy for them. But I know, I know also a lot of women who are in happy polyamorous relationships. So I'm looking forward to hearing more research on that. There's that meme that's like, which one of you wanted the open relationship and which one of you cries yourself to sleep every night? (laughs) We'll try to overcome those biases, but but that'll be next week. But the biological clock. So I learned in researching this that actually used to refer to your circadian rhythm. It didn't used to be gender specific. Circadian rhythm is influenced by light and dark as well as other factors. Your brain receives signals based on your environment, activates certain hormones, alters your body temperature. We've mostly heard about it in the context of sleep, but that's what your biological clock used to refer to until 1978. So we'll give a little context here of the 70s. We had legalized birth control in the 60s. Roe v. Wade had come into being in 1973. In 1974, the Equal Credit Opportunity Act gave women the right to have their own credit cards. Did you know women could not have their own credit card until 1974? Unfortunately, I did. So every time you max out a credit card, you're just a feminist girl boss. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) You're just making your grandmothers proud. (laughs) The Pregnancy Discrimination Act of 1978, which was an amendment to the Civil Rights Act in 1964, prohibited employers from discriminating based on a woman's status of being pregnant or if she had any medical conditions associated with her pregnancy. However, employers with fewer than 15 employees were exempted from this act. So good luck if you're with a small business. Which is like 95% of the I know. It's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) That's still true today. But now states have their own statutes related to this and equal opportunity. But this is this is what's going on. 1978, March 16 of 1978, Washington Post columnist Richard Cohen writes an article that says the clock is ticking for the career woman. So this article comes out written by a man stating that career women seem to have it all, but their life isn't really complete until they have a baby. And that's when biological clock started referring to pregnancy rather than circadian rhythms. In 1978, the first test tube baby was also conceived through IVF. This was a mature egg that was removed from the mother's ovaries, and it was combined in a little laboratory dish, in a Petri dish, with her husband's sperm, and that formed an embryo. And then the embryo was implanted into her uterus a few days later, and this was successfully turned into a baby, matured into a baby. There's a better, gestated into him. Anyway, she had a healthy pregnancy. There was a lot of media coverage of this. There was a documentary about it. 
And it also put into people's minds that there are other opportunities for conception. Like we're getting into fertility treatments here. In the 1980s, all the way through the 2000s, there is media discourse. It's in movies. It's on talk shows. This idea that women need to have a baby. Their body's a ticking clock. Like they have this drive. I'm like boiling with rage. (laughs) You look so calm, but it's about to bubble over. (laughs) It's like how Hallmark movies or Christmas movies, you always have to have an engagement at the end, even if you're like, no, but you two hate each other. Uh No, but it's just that idea of we don't want you to succeed past here. So we're going to plant this seed of doubt that you need to, if you're not like home with three kids, you failed. We love how in the Barbie movie, she didn't end up with Ken. That was a big part of that movie is at the end, she's like, actually, no, I'm I'm good without you. You so rarely see that. And that has a huge effect on people's perception of their own lives. I wanted to know, is this really based on anything scientific here, this biological clock concept? And I was listening to psychologist Dr. Orion Taraban. So he has a theory that it's not a biological clock. It is a psychological clock. The whole point of the biological clock argument is that it's based on evolutionary biology, on your physiology. Then why would Mother Nature give you the strongest drive to reproduce when your chances of fertility start to decline? Because wouldn't it make more sense for your biological clock to start ticking from puberty through your mid-20s? The median age, <laughs> have the, the onset of motherhood here, <laughs> as if it's a disease that comes over you. The age when a woman has her first child, the median age now, is 27. So if the biological clock existed, like we've been told it does, then women would have a gap between when they had their first child or two, around 27, and then when they were desperate to reproduce again a decade later, when the clock supposedly starts ticking at around 35. Or does the clock then go away if you've already had a child? That means that the clock isn't actually biological. If it's a psychological experience where it's like, I want to have this kid, that means it's not a physical experience. I'm guessing people have told you that your clock is going to start ticking or... I have been told. I also, about two years ago, I asked about having my, like, tubes tied. Yeah. Male doctor. um, Oh, Really did not want to consider it. And I was like, I am 40. Yeah, right? You're not I know people that have children and they want them. And I... I wanted a horse and I got a horse. <laughs> That's a great um, substitute for a Which baby. is just as expensive almost. But oh, I, I feel like if I was going, like if I should have children, I would want them already. Yes. And I don't. Yep. I want a new pair of shoes. I just, <laughs> just not. <laughs> Other things that are expensive. I know. I want this like, I don't know. Wow. Just, um, it's not there. And I have felt the feelings. I work on TV shows and sometimes they give you a child that looks like you. Oh. And if that doesn't make your womb flip over <laughs> when you look at someone that looks like you Agreed. at five. Oh, Angelina. She was so sweet. Angelina. And I remember a lot of them and I definitely felt protective and I loved this mm. child. And then I was so happy to give that child back yes. and go home. I would love to play a mother on TV and nice. act out all those feelings, get them out and then still. But I just. I don't think I could feed anything four times a day. I can barely feed myself. I think it's like (laughs) seven times a day with proper snacks. (laughs) And it does look so beautiful. But not everyone needs to have them. 
So you were 40 and you went, it was a male doctor and you'd ask questions. And was it that he refused to do it or was just like reluctant to go there? It would have been a lot more rigmarole. I would have had to come back several more times Mm. and like really prove. And unfortunately, because I'm an actor, my insurance was running out for that year. So I didn't have the time for the rigmarole. Thanks, SAG-AFTRA. That's crazy. But yeah, it was, I think, so much easier even in the 70s to do something like that. I feel like they should always cover a hysterectomy because the cost of having another person puts more strain on the medical system. Not that like women shouldn't be allowed to have children, but just the cost of a human entering the world is so much more significant than the procedure. But then you get into the conspiracy theories about why they want us to have children, why they're canceling abortion, Mm. because you're making little voters, you're making little dependents. Yeah, I don't think that's even a, yeah, that's not a conspiracy theory. I thought that was going to be something about (laughs) aliens and spice. (laughs) I was like, oh. No, just our horrible (laughs) government. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, The world is just in such a terrible state. I don't understand the drive to have children. And that movie, did you see Children of Men? That movie where I did not was that when they couldn't have any more children. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's this tragedy and it's so depressing and everyone is depressed because all around the world women have stopped being able to reproduce. I just didn't get it. I was like, well, what's I don't what's the problem here? <laughs> like, okay, we don't get to continue our civilization, but here's my misanthropic side coming out. But like, we're really bad for the planet, and it's not like everyone was dying. It's like we could just ride it out and have a good time and make some great art and then call it good, but. That's tied in with religion too, right? Yes. You have to go and populate. But like the yeah. world's populated. Yeah, right, right. We did overpopulated. it. Overpopulated. We, we did it. We did it, guys. <laughs> yeah, so much of it comes down to religion and that's a big part of the anti-abortion rhetoric is that women are supposed to fulfill their role as a mother. That's why they're here. In my early 20s, my mom told me, if you have an abortion, if you ever date a Catholic man, don't ever tell them. Oh. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's starting out on a great foot there. <laughs> starting with lies. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about the clock, the, clock, the, ticking, clock. the ticking clock. Yeah, I'm being told about our ticking clock. I was also told that I would have a ticking clock. And when I went to college, too, my grandpa, um, I wanted to go to school in California, and there was a school I partic- I wanted to go to UC Berkeley. It's a good school. And I was telling my grandpa that, and he was like, why are you so adamant to go to this school? I'm like, because it's a good school. And he said, I'm guessing there's a man there that you just haven't told me about. There's a man down there in the Bay Area of California, and that's why you're so set on this school. No, Grandpa, there's lots of men down there. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been a good answer. The sexism there of, like, you're making this decision based on a man. And then people have told me often that the clock's about to start ticking. But the thing is, there is no clock. There is a clock in the sense that you are more likely to have sex while you are ovulating. This has been studied. There's a monthly clock Women are more likely to initiate sex when they're ovulating, even when they are not trying to get pregnant. And there was a study of 68 women, and they recorded when they had sex over a three-month period. It was Professor Alan Wilcox through the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences. And when a woman is ovulating, so this is during the middle of your cycle, this is when you will get pregnant. They were 24% more likely to have sex during that period, which is pretty significant. 
even if they weren't trying to get pregnant. So there's something hormonal that goes on. And there is actually a lot of interesting studies around ovulation of like men finding women more attractive, for example, when they're ovulating or women being attracted to different kinds of partners when they're ovulating, like some who have more facial symmetry, whereas during the rest of their cycle, they don't care about that as much. That is a function of biology. <laughs> so my biological clock isn't going to start ticking in a couple years because I never wanted children. And that urgency that some women do feel around this time as they realize their fertility is going to drop, that's like, oh, I wanted to have kids all my life and I'm realizing that opportunity is closing down. So biological clock, pop psychology term, doesn't really exist. Moving on from there, there is a trend of women having babies later in life, for sure. From 1970 to 2000, the median age of women's first birth rose from 22 to 25. As of 2021, it's up to 27. The national birth rate is also dropping significantly. In 1960, the average American woman would have three and a half children. And by 1970, oh yeah, sorry, the three and a half children. I know, it's always funny. What does that have? Is it the top half? Is it the bottom half? Is it like the right side, but not the left side? And uh, by 1976, that had dropped to one and a half children. So they lost two whole children. And, they just kept the half. But they kept the half. Well, it's easier to take care of a half child than a whole child. Um, in 1980, they crept back up to about two children per woman in the, in the U.S. And then it started to drop again in 2010. I'm guessing that's because of the financial crisis or the crash. I don't know. I don't know how money and numbers work. I'm pretty sure the world took a turn. Is it back up now? A little bit. Another half a kid? <laughs> More of like a like two-tenths a of a kid. <laughs> yeah. It did come back to about 1.6 to 1.7 as of this year. So we're still, still low, significantly lower than 1960. And that, I'm sure, is thanks to birth control, abortion. There's been a lot of media backlash, especially during the Reagan era. He was president from 1981 to 1989. I don't know if you know those kind of things off the top of your head. I would never know. If someone was like, when was Reagan president? I would be like, the 80s maybe? Yeah, I appreciate the dates. I don't know how some people know these things. And I'm sure some listeners will too. They're like, Reagan era? Yeah, obviously fucking moron. 1981 to 89. <laughs> nope. You have some other information in there instead. Maybe. It's more like a, like monkeys just ballroom dancing, like twirling around in like a music box when you open it. And they're like, dee, 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 dee. That's what's going on up there. There was media backlash, the idea that, like, are women really, are they ruining America by postponing motherhood? Are they forgoing motherhood altogether? A nation considers. It's a lot of silly headlines about that. But and isn't so much of that, like, we've got to sell these cribs. Mm, we've got to funny. sell all of this baby shit. Like, babies are so expensive. And especially, like, new parents... Do you need the snoo? Do you need the snuggy-wuggy? Do you need, like, everything? And now you've dropped thousands of dollars. That's true. There's a huge industry around motherhood. And it's also going back to that religious prioritization where that's a woman's job is to have a baby. And for a lot of men, that's where they'd like to keep them. Something that comes up a lot in the podcast is women would actually be better leaders and would be more capable in positions of authority. But if we can just keep them restricted to the role of motherhood, there's no chance of them taking any power away from men because that would be threatening. So Moira Weigel, I'm going to guess how you pronounce her name. She's a postdoctoral scholar at the Harvard Society of Fellows. 
She wrote a piece on this subject for The Guardian and writes that women are actually trying to fit their lives into a corporate work structure that's created for men. And that's a big part of why women aren't able to have children at a younger age and work. It's not really, I'm going to focus on my career and then I'm going to have children. It's like, I would like to be able to do both, but I can't because we don't accommodate women having children. So that's kind of a a them problem, not like a a mom's problem. And then instead of better childcare benefits, more paid time off for maternity leave, reduced hours, remote work opportunities, we decided that the solution is for women to freeze their eggs so they can be implanted later into the mom or into a surrogate. And some corporations I was seeing will actually facilitate that, like Google and Facebook, some of the big tech companies that will pay for up to ten dollars or $20,000 toward women freezing their eggs. It's not really that viable, though. If your business isn't funding it, it will cost about $10,000 per cycle and then up to $1,000 a year in storage fees. The cycle being like your body produces eggs. It matures eggs on a, a monthly cycle. You're born with all the eggs that you have ever are ever going to have, which is interesting. And then they mature and get flushed out with your period. They mature and then have the opportunity to be impregnated, fertilized, or they get flushed out. If you want to freeze them, I think they probably stimulate your hormones so that you overproduce eggs and then they extract them because you do only produce one viable egg per month, but you can hormonally produce more. Anyway, $10,000 a cycle pretty expensive, not even guaranteed to work, and then they have to be stored. Not really very accessible, not a great solution. There are better solutions out there, like she was identifying of making work more accommodating to women. Marcia Inhorn, she is an anthropology professor and a researcher at Yale. She conducted a decade-long study on women who froze their eggs. She found that Overwhelmingly, the women who froze their eggs electively were in their 30s and were motivated by partnership problems. This is very interesting. 82% of them were single, and being single is why they froze their eggs. It wasn't actually about work or their careers. It's because they couldn't find a man that didn't suck. Interesting. Yeah. I listened to a lot of podcasts with female actress, comedian type, and that seems to be really big there. I know like Natasha Legero, Moshe Kasher have a daughter now that was from her freezing her eggs mm. before. Nice. But it was those women have the money. Yes. You know, because I, I feel like it's like a minimum of 40 grand yeah, probably. to do it. But there was a, a, a big trend of that, of those actresses in their 30s. Yeah, fertility is also, it's got to be a multi-billion dollar industry because there's not just the extraction and the storage, but then the implantation. And if you're using a surrogate or if you get an egg donor instead of extracting your own eggs, that also costs tens of thousands of dollars. And then it's also not guaranteed to work. So not the most accessible viable solution. Like, I'm glad it's out there. But a better solution would just be accommodating women in having children younger, since that seems to be what they would do if external forces didn't stop them from it. The narrative that it's like, oh, they just postponed motherhood and then the clock started ticking and then now they suddenly have to do it because they were a career woman who just was trying to have it all isn't actually the case. Women who want to have kids want to have kids, but there are two fertile women in the room right now who have never wanted kids and never will and a clock isn't going to change that. I know our lifestyles are different than a lot. Los Angeles, 
you know, yeah. artistic. Obviously, there's a lot of states that have a more regulated schedule. But could you even wrap your head around the idea of having a baby right now no. at 30? Oh, my God. No. <laughs> I live in a converted loft where I don't have a bedroom door. I have a curtain. (laughs) And it costs like as much as someone's mortgage does. I was talking to a guy. I was on a date with a guy. He was in his late 40s and he wanted kids at some point. And I was talking about how I absolutely never want that. And he's like, well, when you're older, though, you will, right? Like you'll start to want that. No, absolutely not. And he was was so confused. He was like, really? I, I don't. I don't think I've met women who've told me that before. I didn't know that was the case for some women. And when I relayed that to my therapist, talking about it later, she was like, has he not met very many women before? (laughs) (laughs) I think it is still considered really rare. When I was young, in my early 20s in New York, I had a friend who was older than me. She was a successful veterinarian in New York, had a beautiful apartment, made great money had a hard time dating long term because she did not want kids. And I had always considered that a lot of men didn't want kids, but it always became a problem. Right. Exactly. One last comment from Marcia Inhorn, the anthropologist who studied this, noted that it is often men, not women, who want to delay having children. So even if both partners want kids, then the men will be like, oh, just a little bit more time. Anecdotally, at least, I definitely know couples who the woman like, let's get this going. Like I do have a finite amount of time when I'm fertile and men, they don't feel that pressure. So in that sense, like I get the idea of a clock. But again, that comes down to psychology, your mental experience, what you want personally. It doesn't actually have anything to do with evolutionary biology, which is what is implied. Yeah, I wonder how much that has to do with how we're brought up, too, because girls have, like, little baby dolls to take care of. So true. Like, I had tried to say to the doctor, the women I knew that wanted to be pregnant, they wanted to be pregnant yesterday. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And there was no doubt. It was just looking for the right partner. Yes, so true. Yeah, the Binchtopia girls both love babies. It's so interesting to hear them talk about it, Julie and Eliza. They'll be like, oh, I saw a little baby. Aww. I saw a baby. And I was watching a TikTok with a little baby. And I'm like, can we, can we just get past this part? Um, one thing I'll just tease in our last few minutes for next week will be the concept of alpha males, because this is another one of those supposedly based on evolutionary biology concepts that actually isn't real. The term came from a study in 1947 where the researcher, what was his name? Rudolf Schenkel. He was in Switzerland and he was studying captive wolves and identified within the wolves an alpha male and alpha female where the alpha males are in charge of the pack. If anyone challenges that, the alpha wolf will like dominate them. But what it turned out to be is that In captivity, you might see wolves from different families who are living together, but in the wild, it's actually a wolf pack that is a family. It's like parents and then their baby wolf pups, and it's the male and female who are the dominant ones in the pack, but that's actually just the mother and father. It would be like like you go to someone's house and you meet a a dad with his kids, and it's like, are you the, the alpha male here, sir? But that doesn't make him domineering in any kind of societal sense. But I remember you were telling me Jennifer has her horse who is in captivity. I mean, it's not a natural setting, but he exhibits very alpha behavior, you feel? He does if he's 
I've mostly seen him with other male horses, and mm-hmm. he, even though he's not the biggest guy. But then now he's with two female horses, like next to them, who are bigger than he is. But I don't think that matters. They own him. Oh, wait, the female horses? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. He would not even attempt. It's one of those things with animals where we do pick and choose what we want how we want to compare ourselves to them. Like, dogs eat each other's feces, and we're never like, oh, we're just all mammals like a dog, so of course I'm going to do that. And there's a lot of killing in the animal kingdom, too. Of We don't justify murder by saying that animals do it, but we'll pick and choose and be like, well, we see these dominant alpha wolves, so I'm going to be a tough guy, and I'm going to be an alpha male, like a wolf. He's down in his wolf den yelling about the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not a fair comparison. And there was another researcher, L. David Metch. I don't know what the L stands for, but Mr. Metch. He published a book in 1970 about wolves that reinforced what Shankle said and then backtracked and has spent a lot of time and effort and energy putting out content that's like, I was wrong. Shankle was wrong. In Wild Wolves, you don't see anything like this. All the pickup artist guys talking about being alphas. It's not based in anything real. It's just one of those silly pop psychology terms that took off. I don't even, I shouldn't even call it pop psychology. When I say pop psychology, I usually mean like like Myers-Briggs tests where it's loosely based on a psychological concept, but isn't really backed up by any research like the biological clock. But alpha males, like that's not based, that's based on out of date research that the researchers themselves have tried to shut down. We'll talk more about that another time. Thank you, Jennifer, for subbing for Alexis. Are you excited about popping your podcast, Jerry? <laughs> That's gross. But... It's actually not my first time, but oh, it's been fun. Oh, I didn't know. When <laughs> Thank have you... you so much for having me. <laughs> when have you been a podcast host before? Um, I don't even think it exists anymore, if you look it up. But we did one a long time ago. Oh, something like page four. Page four. You can see if it still exists. <laughs> oh, yeah. I am Misandrous Memes on Instagram, and we are sadgap.podcast. Great job. You can email us at sadgap.podcast at gmail.com. Would love if you left a little review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. Um, so outro, so I'll come up with something, and then you'll say, and we're stronger together. If you don't believe in a clock, then it's never going to tick. And we're stronger together. We'll see you next time. Bye.